Hi, and welcome back, imposters. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast, and I am your host, Courtney Heater. It is upon us, friends, the day we are a quarter century old. That's right. This episode marks the 25th episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast, and I'm just beyond excited about it. What an amazing feat that I honestly didn't know I would ever reach. And here I am with your beautiful ears and your beautiful brains that you're just gifting to me for about an hour today. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming back. If this is not the first episode you've listened to, thank you for joining if this is the first one. I hope you like what you hear. There's a whole catalog behind this if you do, so go ahead and dive right into that for about 24 hours of your life. So a little fun, I received an email the other day that was like, your podcast is charting in Germany, and I was like, what? Like, how? No way. But also, okay, cool. Like, what, what does this look like? What does it mean? I took a look and we're like number 225 or something. Wow, that was awkward. So it's a really extensive chart, but hey, look, we made it, mom. We made it. We are charting. I don't know if I'd even call it that. And I couldn't have done it without you, but this isn't the end. It's just the end of the first season, friends. This episode wraps up season one of the pod and season two will kick off on August 18th. It does seem like a long time, but it will fly by. I know for me and hopefully for you, I am taking time for intense mountain climbing training. I do have a new puppy, James the Miniature Schnauzer, who is proving to be very headstrong in a good way. So need a very dedicated set of eyes on him for training very consistently every day. He's going to puppy school as well, but at home need to really step it up. So focusing there and then focusing on some big things at my day job as well. Um, And you probably hear him in the background there. He has lots to say. He's a very vocal young man. Uh, There is already things in the works for season two. So put it in your calendars. Again, that's August 18th, 2022. Subscribe on your preferred platform. And we meet again in August. But until then, I am here for one more episode and we need to talk with Adam Corrin. We need to talk about Adam Corrin. We need to talk with Adam Corrin. Today we are swinging back around to money, that lovely, very impactful object that rules our world as we know it. Now, Adam is a successful financial coach with an interesting and non-traditional background from a liberal arts college. We talk about not being taught how to handle finances when we're growing up, so we don't know what the hell to do when the time comes, the taboos that surrounds money, the struggles we face when chasing our goals, and especially around finances and around self-doubt, all of that, you know, all about being not qualified and feeling like imposters, but doing the damn thing anyways. Once again, he's doing the damn thing anyways, and we're going to learn all about it. So... With no further ado, let's go. I feel the plot about to thicken. Thank you so much to Adam Corin for joining us on the You're Not Qualified podcast. So stoked to have you here to talk everything about the taboo subject of finances. Adam Corin comes to us from not a heavy financial background, so we're going to get more into that, his traditional unqualifiedness, but he's a financial coach now who wants to help people who have a tough time facing their finances. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Courtney. I'm really excited to talk with you and see where we go here. Excellent. And fun fact, he went to the college, one of the two liberal arts colleges in the town that I was born in. Yeah. (laughs) The Carleton College. So super small world, Northfield, Minnesota, put it on the map. The hospital that I was born in apparently does not exist anymore, oh, which is a bummer, but Carlton yeah. does. <laughs> Carlton does. And actually, given our topic, I left a liberal arts education with a, a degree, like my major was religion, like which was <laughs> what I got curious about at the time. It wasn't wow. with an intention for a particular career. It was like with, with an openness to, and a curiosity about where life would take me. No kidding. 
I love the journey of college when people don't have the set career path. That was mine too. I wonder how my life would have been different if I went for a very specific skill. It's very interesting, Mm -hmm. but that's a really good kickoff to how did you start as a financial coach then from your liberal arts background? I know that you got into coaching full-time about six years ago. And what was the catalyst? What happened? Yeah. Okay. So I had a couple of careers before this, and but I had started doing a little bit of coaching when I was 20 and uh, I'm 41 now. It, personal development of all kinds has just been a passion of mine since, since I was a teenager. And, and I love helping people and I love helping people improve their life. Like I mentioned the religion degree, I was just interested in like, how does one live well? And what are all the different ways that people approach that? And getting to do that as a coach now is just something I love so much is to get to do that directly with people one-on-one and just holding their hands and helping them get to a better place. Why did you choose religion? Was it basically that you wanted to understand how everybody lives joyfully through a spiritual path or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot like that. Um, okay. I'm, I'm Jewish and I didn't grow up with much of a deep religious education at all. In my early twenties, I got really curious about just to learn more about Judaism and then also about other religions too, and what the differences and similarities and all that. What was and, your favorite yeah. course or what was your favorite part about it? My favorite course. Actually, one of my favorite courses was contact improvisation. It was a dance class and oh. n- not at all related to a religion major. And just, yeah, I was lonely and looking for ways of connecting with people in interesting ways. And dance is one of those for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And contact dance. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't even know a course <laughs> like that existed. Yeah. did you plan out like finances and everything when you were growing up were you big at saving your allowance with things or helping your parents with money which probably isn't a thing but maybe your friends sure no not at all like I what one thing that's so interesting and weird for me about what I do is that I, I I don't have a passion for money okay Good luck with the slow descent into madness. I'm not really that interested in the world of finance. So yeah, my background's not in finance at all. And so fortunately, there are thousands of people who do financial planning and investment advice, and I don't do any of that. I handle everything else in the realm of of finances. And how that makes sense is that usually what I find is that the, the numbers part of it is really not that complicated usually. Mm. What's interesting and challenging is all of the deep psychological and emotional stuff that money brings up for us because it matters so much and nobody gets trained about it and nobody talks about it. And yet everyone, I, I realized this recently, everyone I've talked with about it, I've talked with hundreds of people and working with um, people over these years Every single person I talk to has had an expectation of themselves that they should know what they're doing with their finances. Mm -hmm. And if you stop and think about it, there's no reason for that. We don't get trained in it, hardly anybody. Mm -hmm. And hardly anybody talks about it in any detail, sometimes even with the closest people in our lives. So it's really just an unfair expectation we have of ourselves, but um, because we have it, it ends up becoming this thing where there's anxiety and shame and just, and then that's where problems can increase. Absolutely. And this feeling that you need to have more and more money. And then if you don't have a lot of money, it ties something to your worth as a person. And there's a lot to say. You can buy nice things and you can give back to your community monetarily and all of that stuff. But it also, it shouldn't be tied to your worth in that way. But so many people think that it is. And 
as you said, a lot of people grew up that way though. Like my parents didn't have an amazing relationship with money and I was not taught how to handle money correctly. Like they teach you how to balance a checkbook when I was going through high school, but that was the end of it. Nothing with credit line, nothing with responsibility with money, not even like simple things now. It's don't spend more than you earn. Yeah. It doesn't get talked about. So speaking of you're not qualified, like who is qualified for really dealing well with their personal finance? It just seems like we're just left to figure it out on our own. Yeah. And, and some people do, and they feel really comfortable and they figure out whatever they need to figure out. And other people just cobble together the best they can and then avoid it <laughs> as, and just try to get by on whatever it is they've figured out to do. Yeah. And hope that it doesn't get too difficult. Yeah. Like hope that... They can always pay their minimum credit card balance at least. Mm-hmm, right, right. Yeah, it's a, such a scary spot. Then through your coaching journey, mm-hmm. what hurdles did you face without having that financial background? I know that you come from mm-hmm. a really compassionate angle where you're, I just want to help you understand, be more confident with money and all of that. But people still come to you for financial advice. So mm-hmm. did you face any issues with that? Yeah, for me, some of the biggest hurdles have been about running a business, actually. I love coaching. I w- I'd coach all day and I love doing that. I'm so grateful I get to do that. And I did not want to run a business. I didn't think I would run a business. My parents each have their own business and my brother runs a business and he trains practice. He trains people in running their business, which was a great help. Oh, I bet. But that was never my intention. I love being around people and being part of teams. And But this has just been over and over the thing that I love doing and makes sense. And so some of the biggest hurdles I've had have been around that aspect, around being visible, putting myself out there, marketing, all that stuff. And then I wouldn't call it a hurdle exactly, but I've learned a ton over these years because I'm, I'm a generalist. I, I help people with anything from spending and and debt. Those are some of the big ones, but also stuff related to IRS. Did everybody file their taxes this year that live in the US? I hope you did because we are past due, unless you filed for an extension, of course. Does anybody else, every time they have to do this, get really angry and we're like, you know how much we owe you. You know how much. It's not my fault that you don't take the right amount the first time. Why do I have to do this every year? Yeah, me too. And even things, student loans, I've worked with quite a few people around their inheritances or oh. coming inheritances, okay. which can bring up huge things. Oh, um, yeah. You can't run a chocolate factory with a family hanging over you like an old dead goose. No offense. None taken, Jeff. And then also working with couples in the different dynamic, like the differences that people come into in their partnerships, everybody, like in every partnership they people come from different angles, sometimes slightly different and sometimes very different. And yet we got to figure it out one way or the other. My point is I've helped people in a lot of different areas of money. And so I've just, I've learned a lot over the years. I just keep keep learning and growing and expanding my field of, of competence in terms of knowing what's going on. Yeah. Again, the core of my work is really about just being with people and helping them figure out what they need to know. In terms of helping people with the IRS, their inheritance, does taxes come into that equation? And would you need to get like a certification? Who would have believed it? You an IRS agent? death and taxes. I'm not a CPA or an accountant. So I don't do that. I don't have that background at all. Mm -hmm. But what I do have is I'm patient. I'm curious Mm -hmm. and I'm just willing to Google stuff and do my best to figure it out and to make phone calls. And there's a, I I just bring a fearlessness to it that Mm -hmm. for these things can be so scary and intimidating for me cooking is the way it is for my clients with money. I don't know why, but I just do everything I can to avoid cooking. I'm able to do some basics, but I, and I I love healthy food, but I just hate it. And so it's, 
and I have shame about it. And it's because and the shame can block me from learning even the most basic stuff. I don't know how many times I've had to ask my partner about how to cut in. What do you start with? I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but, but it's, I think it's a good metaphor because that's how, that's how lots of people are about money, except we don't usually talk about it. And we just have this private realm where we feel bad. And we just, like I was saying, we just try to get through it best we can. Oh man, do I identify with that so, so much. And the partner aspect of it is something that I really identify with. So I've been dating my partner for two years Mm -hmm. and he's always made more money than me. Mm -hmm. He has always been like more secure financially. I literally only within the last couple of years have been able to pay off my credit card debt and live comfortably. And I'm 33 years old. I feel a lot of um, shame for that because I was like, it took me so long and he's the same age as me. We're only a couple months apart. So the conversation with us happened probably a year into our relationship. And I was like, I have this like crazy amount of credit card debt and I need to sit him down and we need to talk about it because it's, killing me. And like, I just need to say it. Right. And it was, I had $22,000 in credit card debt. And I, to me, that's so much. And I was like, look, like, this is what it is. And I even came with a full plan to our conversation of how I wanted to pay it off because I was so worried about an argument. He basically was like, I just don't know what that's because I've never really had credit card debt. I I knew how to use my money right away, but Mm. it's not your fault. And that was just like, all of the fear was just mitigated immediately because I just built Mm. it up in my head. But then once you get past that, we didn't go to a coach or anything, but thinking how even more structured it could have been had we been Mm -hmm. in the hands of somebody that's, this is my mission to get you guys on the same page, help you figure this out together. Mm -hmm. We ended up figuring it out and I'm credit card debt free now, but it took two years. Yeah, good for you. (laughs) Yeah. I I appreciate the courage that it took to to have that conversation. And I've had conversations with clients about, I really like this guy I'm seeing, like, when do I bring up my money stuff? Because I don't want to scare him away, but I want to be honest. And yeah, that can be really hard. Yeah. And it's, we got serious pretty quick because we started dating right at the beginning of the pandemic and it, oh, yeah. it's the nature of it. Yeah. And we moved in pretty quick and that made it even more serious where it's, we're combining finances now. Mm-hmm. And I need you to know that I'm broke <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so tough. How many people do you have typically in your rotation for clients at a time? Yeah. I tend to have about 12 to 15 clients at any one time. It's just somehow it has just been around that. Word of mouth has been wonderful. And not everybody's weekly. Uh, Oftentimes I work with people every other week. Not always, but that seems to often be a good rhythm to digest what we've worked on together. Are people coming to you with very specific problems they want to solve? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of my favorite examples is I I had someone come to me who she reached out to me on Yelp from her pet hospital emergency room because her dog had eaten something and she was there to get the dog stomach pumped and it's going to cost a couple thousand dollars and she didn't have it. And she had to borrow money from a friend again. And she's a doctor and she makes really good money. And she was so embarrassed to have to ask for help again. And she was like, I have got to somehow get a handle on this. And that's a dramatic example. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, people don't like, it's unusual to ask for help with something like this. It can, like often it, it takes something like that, or sometimes it's reaching a certain thousand dollar debt amount. Um, for, for someone to go, okay, I got I to gotta do something here. Who do I know? What can I do? I can't keep doing it the way I've been doing it. So that's usually when somebody comes to me. So there, there's often a lot of desire and often a really clear problem that needs to be solved. And you identified that gap in the financial industry, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. That's pretty incredible because it's like a niche yeah, it is. I, I totally stumbled into it. I did uh, not. Yeah. I started to say earlier, I don't think I, I finished the story. What, 
whatever it was, <laughs> but I wasn't intending to do this at all. Oh, you had just asked me how I got into it. Oh yeah. And yeah, I was, it, it was early in my beginning to coach more seriously and mm-hmm. about six, seven years ago. And I was coaching someone in something else. I was helping her get a handle on her email and we did a few sessions and she was like, all right, that's good. That's good enough. What I really need help with is money. Can you help me deal with my finances? And I said, huh, I've never done that, but sure, let's give it a try. I, I had no qualifications for that in particular. And I worked with her closely and over a number of months, she went from having a bunch of debt, even though she was also making pretty good money, but she just wasn't looking at it. And so I just helped her first, just get some awareness on what's actually happening. And we worked together to set some limits that really worked well for her so that she could buy what she wanted and feel some, the freedom to do that. Yeah. But, but to stay contained so that she could start to, to get her debt going in the right direction. And I loved working with her. I loved, I loved the combination of it's so practical. It's so cl- like clear numbers, but it's also the kind of gushy, emotional, messy stuff. And I love both of those. And mm-hmm. I love to, I, so I get to go back and forth with people from the messy, emotional stuff to the really practical, like, all right, what is, what are you actually going to what are you going to do? What's the next step on this? So let's just go back and summarize all of this real quick in terms of Adam's journey. And I do want to preface by saying that we talk a lot about understanding your goals in this podcast and then, or understanding what you want to do with your career, with a hobby or with your life, even if you want to get really grand scale. And from there, work backwards and understand, okay, these are the skills that I already have. This is what my background already is. This is what I could do to get there. And this is how my background is serving me rather than hindering me. So that kind of reframing, we talk about that a lot. What I want to point out here is Adam didn't want to get into finances. He was, you know, very specific that he loves coaching. He loves the coaching aspect of what he does. He's not crazy about the money situation of everything. And finances is not like a huge passion of his. But how he found a cool and lucrative and helpful niche in the coaching industry is filling that gap of a very emotional, empathetic approach to helping people with their money. He fell into it because of this woman that he just talked about in that story where she was like, oh yeah, like, thanks for helping me with my emails. I actually, can you help me with my money too? And he's like, hmm, I don't know, let's try. That is such a pivotal thing because he didn't say, oops, nope, never done that before. But he's like, I really enjoy helping people. And he probably enjoyed working with this woman. So he's like, okay, I'll I'll try my hand at it. What's the worst that can happen? I'll tell her that I'm in over my head and she should try reaching out to somebody else to help her, right? So it's such a practical approach to it. And he didn't turn it down because it was on the path to what he loves to do, coaching. And it just had a little bit of a spin to it. It had a little bit of a seasoning to it that he didn't expect, but he didn't turn it down because it wasn't very, very specific to what he wanted to do. But now he's doing exactly what he loves. And that led him there. All of this to say, if you run into something that you're like, hmm, this isn't the exact path that I'm looking for, but I can really at least tell pieces of this that can get me to the path that I want to be on or get me to my end goal, by all means try it and the worst that'll happen is you'll be wrong and you can correct course and go backwards or go forward and do something else but at least you know that that's not part of your path or you'll find it is part of your path and it brought you to the next step or you might even love it and you didn't even know that you could love something else that wasn't on your goal path right there's so many different options and avenues that this can go and adam's story is such a cool representation of just falling into it and falling in love with it. That's excellent. And the emotional part is 
usually so dominant and you're the third party and you can come in and you can bring it beyond just like their Google spread. That's what I used to track it all with. And I'm like literally down to the dollar. That didn't really work for me. I had to like take a different perspective on it. So you can come in with that like third party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What ended up working for you? You are portraying. Um, I ended up creating about four different bank accounts. And then I would allocate money automatically from my checking account to those banking accounts. And one would be savings and one, and then like the other three would be really like big expenses. And those, if they were full to the amount that I needed them to be, then the other money left over was the leftover money. And I could buy that shirt I wanted or something, but it was, it, and I actually still do that. I now have only Mm-hmm. three bank accounts graduated. Mm-hmm. Now I have, this is my investing money. This is my saving money. And investing obviously is something that I didn't do until I was debt free because it mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense. But right. now it's like that kind of like leveling up, but that's what mm-hmm. worked for me. It was like, I had mm-hmm. to, I literally had to compartmentalize it. Like I did with yeah. like my brain. Yep. This is off to the side. Yeah. That's yep. really smart. Appreciate the creativity of just realizing what was gonna work and help you both save what you needed for later and had the money you needed for basic stuff. Yeah, it definitely, it took some time and I did have to dip into like, once you get into the flow, it's better, but I did overspend on something and cause you're getting into the groove of it and saving money was also something I never did growing up. So it was like, yeah. it was all so new. Right. And very curious for demographically, Hmm. at least not even anecdotally for me, but even statistically, I know that men are just better with money. Hmm. It's just a thing that I perceive of the world. Hmm. Do you find any difference between the, especially the amount of like shame and stuff that either gender? That's an interesting question. I've definitely worked with more women in general than men. And yeah, I wonder, hearing you say that, I wonder to what extent, given that men are more, just generally in our culture, men are more expected to know what they're doing than women. I even had a woman client say to me once, my father taught my brother finances stuff and he didn't teach me. And he said, you're just gonna, your your husband. husband Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's generally just that expectation. Sometimes men will just figure it out with that expectation and sometimes not. And some, and just that becomes another layer of shame of I should know what I'm doing and I don't. Did, were your parents really good with money growing up? Did you have? Yeah, I would say they, they are. And there was, they wouldn't talk with me about it though. And I, so I knew it was so important, mm-hmm. but it was such a, it was such a curiosity for me and I never expected to be doing what I'm doing, but I I think that's part of like a a secret kind of pleasure of my work is like, I get to like peel behind the curtains with people with all the wide gamut of situations from like Uh deep and hundreds of thousands of student debt to having net worth in the millions. So I've really seen just a wide range of circumstances and, and just for the kid I was, who was just so curious and so wondering, like, why can't, what, like, why don't you just tell me like what our situation is? What, how much money do we have? I, I was, I what's wanted to know. What's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. What's the big deal? Why can't you tell me? You got yeah. me more curious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that it is. It's very much so. Can't you just tell me what's in yeah. your bank account? Right. My, my brother has four kids and this just triggered a really funny story that I remember. And he texted me like a week ago and his 17 year old was like, I think that you should have more money and savings than you do. And my brother, who's his dad, he's like, excuse me. (laughs) And he's, I think you don't have enough money in savings for being in a, his kids are really good with saving. He teaches his kids really valuable money skills. Why not, why not? And they save like everything they earn and they have jobs. And he was like, I think that I have as much as you dad in my savings. And then of course my brother was like, I also have four of you that I need to pay for. And all you have is yourself and your games. So it's like that kind of perspective, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. maybe they were afraid of being judged. 
Yeah. Yeah. What that inspires for me is that the should aspect of it, you should have more in savings is such a deep part of our cultural baggage with money is, is the sense of being behind. Like so many of us have the belief I should be further along. I should, especially towards retirement, I should have emergency savings ready. I should be out of debt and many more. And it, and that's so heavy. And part of what I help people with is to identify what they actually want and what's actually going to motivate them. Cause, cause that, that should is not actually that motivating. It, it takes finding the motivation sometimes from a different kind of place. Maybe it's the peace of mind, or sometimes it's setting an example for kids when someone has kids. So yeah, the motivation often needs to come from a different place for, to really change your behavior. So when people come to you with those questions then of how much money should I have in savings? We're told like six months worth of expenses or something like that. Do you break down that thought pattern with them? Yeah, I do. I do. And so, yeah, when people have brought me that question, what I bring back to them. So by that time, usually we've figured out like how much are they spending each month? Mm -hmm. And yeah, usually I I give it back to them in terms of what's going to, what's going to feel like peace of mind. Like how much money do you want to have in the bank to help you just feel like, okay, just relax. Like I got this, I'm fine. And then and then moving the rest into investment or saving for a car or whatever. Yeah. So it's really okay to bring that very subjective lens to it. Totally. Yeah. Like the rest of the world doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much should, I I just come from a different place with it. What I often tell people is it's your money. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. You're an adult. Like so many people just feel like they never, really became an adult with money. There's still the sense of wanting permission and feeling tentative about it because they're important decisions to be made. But, and and yeah, just that level of adult kind of power and responsibility can be elusive, especially when there's this kind of sense of, "Ah, I don't really know what I'm doing. Absolutely. It just, it, it it takes you like it absolutely like it, it, just won't let you go. And without understanding that this is not my personal financial therapy session, just out of of curiosity, I will sometimes, and hoping people could relate with this, even though I am credit card debt-free, even though you don't have to be to buy yourself things, I have a savings account, everything, I have a job, so I have income coming in. I still feel guilty if I buy myself something. I still feel guilty if I, like I bought a new pair of shoes and it's still like unwrapping and so should I have not spent this money? Mm -hmm. But what do, where do people go if even though they're on the right track and these feelings just keep coming? Yeah. 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 If this were a real coaching session, (laughs) I would just get, I would just get curious about that. Yeah. Where, yeah. Just to explore where that guilt might be coming from. Yeah. If you, just to look at the financial side for a moment, if you pull back and think about it objectively, are you okay with buying those pair of shoes or whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah. So then it's something else. Like sometimes there, there can be uh, often when there's these kind of questions, there's a niggling, like, I think I can afford it. I'm just going to do it. Swipe. Sometimes crazy is the best way to go. It, it's it's hope because it's scary to look and and it can be real it can be confusing. It's not obvious like how much how much we're spending each month. Yeah. So, like usually people have a sense, but sometimes it's off once we really dig into the numbers. So Anyway, often there's a, a, some real financial questions to, to dig into and get curious about. And okay, what, like once we've crunched some of those numbers and there's more clarity and awareness of, okay, this is how much I'm spending and, you know, going to this fancy meal or buying this pair of shoes or this dress or whatever it is, that's totally good. Or I need to just do this, just do this little amount for now. Right. Um, Okay. So that's that side, but given that's not what's going on for you, 
Yeah, I, w- I would just dig into what's behind that. And also, I, I think one thing I can offer that could be more widely applicable is I love the question, what is money for? Oh my God, yeah. What is money for? I bet you get so many different answers. Yeah. Runs yeah. the gambit. I, I tend to be pretty frugal. And so one of my challenges, this might sound silly to some people, but one of my challenges has been to actually get myself to, to spend money on things that matter to me. And, and also, like you're saying, like on things that just bring pleasure. That's my default is if there's any question to not spend money. And that's lauded in our culture as that's good to save money. But there there is that hidden downside of it is like, I'm like... There was another client story is had a woman say her stepmom, who she was close to, she died, I think in her mid fifties. And, and before she died, she just had such regret that she told her stepdaughter, my client of like that she hadn't taken an international trip that she had always wanted to do and never did. And my, I'm getting chills saying this, like my client was like, I am not going to be like that. I want to be responsible with my money, but I am not scrimping in these ways we were talking about. I am going to buy the expensive jacket and I'm going on this trip. Like it was coming from such a powerful place of this is what money is for. This is what my life is about. This is what's important to me. And yeah. I'm going to put my money to empower what's important to me. I think that's so valuable. That's such a great way to approach it of what is your money for? What do you need your money for to make your life more joyous, more meaningful? One thing that I regret is not internationally traveling until I was 31 years old because I quote unquote, couldn't afford it. I could barely afford it when I did it, but I still was like, this is the opportunity couple friends want to go, I'm going to go. And I saved for a few months and I made it happen. But oh my God, if I could stress to everybody, like that would probably be my number one Mm. piece of advice is even if you feel like you can't afford to explore, just figure out a way to do it because you're only young once. You can explore any age, but there's something about it when like your late 20s, early 30s, like just do it. Uh, Yeah. Buy that thousand dollar plane ticket. France, it's a different planet. So what else for you is, would you say what your money is for? If you think about it. Mm. I would say money is also for nourishing Mm. myself. I used to hold some guilt around buying uh, really expensive food, like the organic nice produce. These right. days, it's not that much more expensive, but it used to be quite a bit more. And I I just set that aside and I'm like, I need to feed myself. I'm going to buy this $6 bottle of kombucha mm-hmm. because it's good for me <laughs> and that's okay. So definitely money yeah. is nourishing for me and money is, it's meant to bring joy. Mm, I love it. Nourishment and joy. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like adventure too. An adventure. Travel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some common answers you get to that question? Yeah, to be honest, I've mostly, that's been mostly a conversation with my partner oh. that comes up a lot between us because she's also frugal, yeah. which is, I, I feel so um, grateful for. We like, we have a similar money pattern and it's usually people are attracted to each other where one's a spender and one's a saver to be simplistic. But anyway, to stay on track. So yeah, usually it's been a question between us and encouraging each other to spend money because that's a challenge for both of us. And yeah, so often, like I I broke my arm recently and went to the ER and it was super expensive. And I, I, when I realized what the bill was a couple months later, it was really uncomfortable. And my partner reminded me like, this is, it's okay. This is what your money's for. Yeah. Yeah. Just pay it, let it go. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one thing. Yeah. That's also a good way to compartmentalize it too. Going back to the, you have your emergency savings and emergency savings is intended for a lot of people for emergencies. Right. And ER right. is literally the definition of an emergency. <laughs> so it's the like emergency it's room. the emergency yeah. room. So it's okay <laughs> to spend the money on your emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you would 
much rather spend it on something else that's there for an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Please state the nature of the medical emergency. Exactly. That's a really good point. Oftentimes people really, once they have that emergency funds, they don't want to- They don't want to spend it. They don't want to spend it, but you're right. That's that's so true. Like yeah. I'm going to set my own broken arm. I'm just going to walk out of here. Right. right. <laughs> yep. It's too expensive. Yeah. Uh, it, I hope that your arm it. healed okay. By yeah, the way, it's it's almost all better. You're yeah. moving okay. That's yeah, good. yeah, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Fully mobile. Yeah, and thanks in part to the the cast I got. So yeah, you even had to wear a cast. I haven't seen one of those in a long yeah. time. Yeah, it was a splint, but it, mm. anyway, I'm just and I remember in the moment going, "Am I going? Yes, I am going to the ER. I I don't know what it's going to cost. It's probably going to be a lot and." This is what money's for. It is what money's for. Yeah. Man, so, so bizarre um, way we think about things. Going back to your six year mark, basically, of going out and doing this full time, what was it that gave you the confidence to be able to do this full time? Good question. Yeah. I've been looking for ways to bring it back to our theme here. What gave me the confidence? I think part of what gave me the confidence was it. I started slow. I started with that one client where that was a surprise. And then because that work was so powerful with her, I started just talking about it with friends. Mm. And I started having similar conversations to the one we had here about like, why don't we get trained? And like, how do you deal with your money? And I, I just started getting curious about it. And I started putting it on Facebook also. And I got a strong response. And so I I think that was a huge part of it for me was that it was gradual. And I had so much resistance to running a business. And Mm -hmm. and in part, because I I know more than the average person about what it takes to run a business, particularly a coaching business. And I was intimidated by that. And I didn't, I, I wasn't like really wanting to run a business. So it was so helpful that I kept consciously setting aside all the things I thought I should do, including building a website, which um, I didn't do for the first year. It was just word of mouth and and Facebook primarily and no advertising. And actually it was being a guest on a podcast, which, which was the catalyst. They were like, so what's your website URL? I was like, okay. And I very quickly built my original site. So what gave me the confidence? Yeah. And I'd been coaching on and off in the background for many years. And even though I I have a certificate in counseling, but I didn't finish my coaching. I got training in a bunch of different ways, but as I was preparing for to be on this podcast, I was realizing like, these are the kinds of things that I normally wouldn't share in this, like in this kind of environment where I want to show my credibility. But yeah, for our purposes, like I'm not only do I not have any background in finance, I I don't have a coaching certification and no one has ever um, asked me for that. The only time it's come up is when I've considered getting a coaching job within a company. They all require either a master's or a coaching certification. But yeah, generally it it just has not come up with clients. What people want to know is do you get me? Do I feel comfortable with you? Can, and can you help me? And how much is it going to cost? <laughs> how much is it going to cost? Yeah. Did they ever ask about testimonials or anything for credibility? Um, you know, no one's ever asked that. I have quite a few on Yelp and, and then on my website. So uh-huh. usually when they, by the time they've booked a consult with me, they've usually already seen that. Did you start with a partner six years ago or was it just you? Off and alone. Yeah, just me. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's that, that's a leap. It, that's a- yeah, <laughs> it was. And I, I think I'm lucky in that I, I think I have a little less money fear than most people. Like I, yeah. I, was, I was around the edge then of zero being broke. And I personally, I, for myself, debt is really uncomfortable. And there, there were a couple of times running this business that I did dip into debt. And that was awful. It was, I, I had so much anxiety and, but, but yeah, what I've heard is that for a lot of people, the thought of, of starting a business or just not having the safety net of a regular paycheck is terrifying. And I'm just 
lucky that I don't have that kind of terror. Just I had a job for five years and it was fine and steady and good. And I was just done with that. And I I just Mm. quit without a plan. And I floundered around for a while and I catered and I drove for Lyft and I was, I I just tried a lot of different things and, and I was coaching as part of that. And before that really started to take hold and become the thing that became a full-fledged business. What are you most proud of in this journey? Mm. Thank you. That's a great question. I'm proud of sticking with it. I'm proud of a a bunch of things. I'm proud of sticking with it. I'm proud of, I'm actually, huh, I've never thought about this way. I'm proud that I didn't push myself harder at the beginning to, to put up a website to, gosh, I don't remember now what all the things were that I knew I should do, but wasn't doing, but I was proud that I went at my own slow pace. Yeah. I'm, I'm super proud of the difference I've gotten to make. I'm, I'm proud that people trust me with the most intimate, difficult, shameful, important stuff in their life. So Yeah, that's a lot to be proud of. Absolutely. And you are there for all of their future too. Like it's a lot to put in somebody else's hands. It's like mm-hmm. pretty incredible that people trust you with that. It is. Yeah. I, Do I you have that. the same clients for years? Sometimes, yeah, for three, four, five years now. And sometimes just for a session or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes people just don't really need that much. They need to get clear about something like, uh, oftentimes like a move or stuff about having children. Hey, where did you find this? It locks under my seat. Are they heavy? Yeah. Then they're expensive. Put them back. Yeah. Um, just big life decisions that involve money oftentimes yeah something a a commonality and what people say to me is it became more than I could handle in my head like it was time to talk with somebody about all the things I'm considering all the Mm -hmm. factors so if you weren't doing coaching what would you be doing Mm. (laughs) just curious yeah you seem so well fit for it but maybe coaching in a different realm Yeah. I love to teach. I I was in my last job, I was the head of training for a small webinar company. I would teach. And I, I I also really loved being a boss actually, which is a lot. It's a lot of coaching, actually Mm -hmm. a lot of helping people like be their best and perform their best and a lot of handholding through things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. I love transferable skills. I had a whole episode on that. So you used to be a boss Uh and what else in your background really lends itself to your success right now? Mm. Uh, I don't know where my patience comes from, but that's a huge part of what I do. And and just the patience and the curiosity. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I'm not really answering your question, but those are so. Patience, curiosity. That's also a boss. Uh Uh-huh. Right a good boss. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Not every boss. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. And just throwing out some organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you're a pretty organized person to be able Super to run your organized. own business. Yeah. yeah. And you have to be with direct reports. Mm-hmm. Ideally you are with direct reports. Great communicator. Mm-hmm. Soft skills really are so important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought of another piece, which is I, I have a real passion for being on top of things and mm. being organized and productive and all that stuff. And, and also having things clear so that I can relax and enjoy my time off. So, yeah, my, my deep study of getting things done by David Allen has been a huge factor in what I bring to people. I love it. In terms of time off, do you attribute being able to just shut down as part of your success? Like you have to just leave work at work. Yeah. Yeah. And I work from home like so many people do now Yeah, just on Zoom. And so, yeah, it's not always, actually that's, I was going to say, it's not always clear when I'm on and off, but that's not true. I do protect the evenings and most of the weekends. So good. um, yeah, I, I, I build in a lot of balance into my life. 
I feel that's really hard for people. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important for anything you're doing to be able to turn off. Like I have heard of people just, they just can't turn off because it makes them anxious to turn off. And maybe they're an outlier, but -hmm. everybody else, it's like, I have to, or I will, I can feel the frazzle coming on. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to just step away. We're picking up a distress call, Captain. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody else that really wants to just start their own business? Yeah, great question. Yeah, what comes to mind is I can imagine, I imagine it as like a, as a flame, like a, a, like a desire to keep lit and to tend and to support. Mm -hmm. And, and it can take great courage to, to let that flame get bigger and to support it in doing that. I guess that would be my advice is to protect and tend that, that desire, that flame to, whatever it is to do the passion projects, to have the freedom to set your own hours and have no limit on your income or whatever the desire is to, to fan that and, and protect it. And identifying that might be hard, but identify mm. like the why behind what you're doing. But once you do nurture it, yeah, what you're right. saying. And I'm curious, before we go, what you said, this is a passion project for you. What is, Mm -hmm. what would you say your passion is around this podcast? So it's a lot to, it's mostly to encourage people to do things that they have been told before that they cannot do or things that they feel deeply that they are a fraud to do right? Like that you are too much of an imposter. We all go through imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. but this, and this is for the people that feel that, but this is mostly for the people that let that run their life Mm -hmm. and like, will just not touch a career path because they didn't go to school for it. Mm -hmm. And that's me. I, I was that person and I didn't even go to school for the thing I wanted to because I wasn't good at one subject in school. And it's like that kind of thinking really ruled my life for a while. And if I can tell just one person before they do that, that you don't have to do it that way, then I've done my job because, mm-hmm. and the idea of finding people that are doing things that they don't have traditional qualifications for, mm-hmm. and they're helping people and they're quite honestly, just killing it then mm-hmm. it's like I can give them because I'm the type of person that I need example. Yeah. So like I can give them tangible, like we could talk to everybody that's doing exactly what yeah. it is you yeah. want to do and they're doing it well. And look, they don't have that background either. Right. And guess what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. What matters is the passion. And the confidence and the, you know, the balls to just say, I'm going for it. I love this. I'm going to see where this goes. Absolutely. Yeah. And and nobody should have to put their dreams on the back burner because they cried over their math home. Like they really hated math. What in the sister shy kind of place is this? Well, my stomach aches and my palms just got sweaty. Must be a high school. It just, it's a sad reality that so many people are afraid. And this is also like, therapeutic thing for me because I need to be constantly reminded that I'm qualified to do what I want to do. Totally. And it's so fulfilling in a lot of ways, but but if I can help people on the journey, then that's fine. I also thought it would be weird just to continually interview people and not do anything with it. So, because I love talking to people about the random things that they're amazing, random things they're doing with their life that they don't have a background, but yeah, I can go on forever about it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's the passion behind it. I want to help people. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I love that you're helping people with exactly what you need, needed then, like what you wish you could go back with your former self and tell her. And that it's a continual reminder, like we don't need qualifications. That is just such a lie our culture tells. Like we can pretty much do what we want. And, and it takes a lot. And just also recognizing my privilege as a white person and as a man, which is helps so much. And it like definitely is part of the confidence that I have just unearned, but yeah, just working with whatever we got. Sometimes I like to end these because it's so fun with the question of 
So Adam, what makes you qualified mm. to be a coach to help people through their financial problems? Thank you. Yeah, that's a great way to end. Yeah, just the the compassion that I have for how hard it can be to face our finances when that's the last thing we want to do. And the curiosity and the patience. And also what makes me qualified is just that I've worked with hundreds of people now over many years full time and to the point where I'm less self-conscious than I was at the beginning and can really focus and have my attention out on what's going on for this person and what do they really need. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, even be coached by you, where can they find you? What's your website? What's your socials? Yeah. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah. My website is just my name, adamcorin.com, K-O-R-E-N. And yeah, I, I post occasionally on Facebook, but, but yeah, if you're listening and have any curiosity, I'd be happy to, to talk with you. I offer free consultations and there are no strings to those. I just, I love to help people. So yeah, feel free to reach out. That's excellent. Is there anything else that you really wanted to say and we didn't get to before we say goodbye? No, I just, I really appreciate your interviewing style and your full attention and your, and your willingness to share your own story and yourself. And this was really great. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and everything that you're doing to help people. And that compassionate approach to helping people through their financial struggles is, it's really so needed. And I wish you all of the success and thank you for coming with that approach. I, it's really like, it's like a diamond in the rough. Mm, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Mr. Wonka, I'm Violet Beauregard. Oh, I don't care. Well, you should care, because I'm the girl who's going to win the special prize at the end. Well, you do seem confident, and confidence is key. The last episode of the first season could not have been more poignant. And this, this just could not have ended better than the message that... Adam and I shared, especially Adam, in this episode. Just go for what you want. Be confident that you're qualified. It is hard work to go for what you want, even if you are qualified. So just do it. Just take the leap. Ask for help. Get your ducks in a row. Work backwards. Identify your skills. Grow in other aspects of your life if that helps your confidence, and just try to live fully. And don't be afraid to live fully. You deserve to be happy. You deserve the life you want. You deserve to be financially wealthy and financially joyous. And you deserve happiness. You deserve freedom from the chains holding you back that tell you that you can't be doing what you want to do. I'm not going to fluff it any more than that. I'm so excited that Adam was the 25th guest and I can't thank him enough for his infinite wisdom. Uh, I will list where to find him if you are at all interested in being coached by him or getting in touch. He, as you can tell, is a very nice, passionate, empathetic, easy to talk to, funny person. Okay, where can you find me? My name again is Courtney Heater. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast, season one. I have a few socials. Uh, Instagram is the most prominent one, and that's at YNQPod, at YN as in Nancy, QPod, TikTok by the same handle, Twitter at YNQPodcast. I have an email address, YNQPod at gmail.com. I also just remembered Elon Musk just bought Twitter. Wow. But also have a Twitter at YNQ Podcast. Uh, I said my Gmail. And then I have a website, you're not qualified podcast.com. Please, please, please get in touch. I love to hear from you all. And I'm so excited. You know, let's just move that chart topping uh, <laughs> number, chart topping rank. Let's move our rank up, guys. Let's try for top top 200 all right let's do it let's get below number 200 top top episodes 195 is going to be our goal in germany i think we can do it guys 
I do believe we can make this work to our advantage. Let's just do a spot of trivia, shall we? Talked a tiny bit about Twitter just at the end here, and I thought that it might be really applicable, maybe coming up soon for some people, if you guys actually go out and do trivia, to talk about Twitter because of the very big news of Elon Musk acquiring it, buying it. And I was like, okay, so let's do Twitter. All right, guys, so when was Twitter founded and by whom? Anybody know? When founded March 21st, 2006, no surprise here in San Francisco, California, founded four people, which I was kind of surprised by. Jack Dorsey, whom I believe is the person that went to uh, Congress to talk about Twitter. <laughs> and that's the one way to put it. So Jack Dorsey, Biz Stone, Evan Williams, Noah Glass. So these four men created Twitter March 21st, 2006 in San Francisco. And there you have it, friends. I'm going to miss you guys all very deeply. I think that I will probably have something fun coming out in the three months that we're taking a break. I don't want to go away completely. Socials will still be live. Things will still be happening there. You can absolutely still contact me. I'm, you know, not away from the internet. I am still in civilization. Get in touch if you or somebody you know would be a good fit and we can start scheduling you for August for interviews to come on the pod. I would love, 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 love to have you. And with that, please enjoy your summer to the absolute fullest. I can't wait to tell you all about my adventures when I get back. But friends, I will see you, not next Thursday this time, I will see you on August 18th. All right, bye.